Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing, I'm Peter Switzer and tonight I look at the top stock picks recommended at the internationally famous Stock Picking Hearts and Minds conference. This year it was done as a virtual conference where great fund managers gave their one great idea or stock which then goes into a fund that invests in these stocks. I look at the local stocks from the conference with Tribeca's June Bay Lou, who was one of the fund managers who gave her one best idea and got her to tell me if she liked the other stocks that were put on show at the conference. Julia Lee of Boom Invest looks at a number of stocks that I was asked about in our Boom Doom Zoom show and then I got Fairmont Equities' Michael Gable to see what the charts were saying about these very stocks. Next, Paul Rickard pinpointed the bank he thinks looks like the best value right now and then I talked to the world-famous US market bear, Peter Schiff, who later this week will debate with Harry Dent on a pending economic crisis as well as a market crisis as well. But before that, let's just start with Julia Lee. Hi Julia, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Pete. Okay, now I just wanna run through some stocks that were brought up in our Boom Doom Zoom show. But before we do that, I'd like to see how you're dealing with the rotation out of the stay-at-home stocks into the reopening trade. Yes, I mean, this has been a, a really big rotation and I believe that it's going to continue. I'm still very positive on the market over the next 12 to 18 months. I think that the new economic cycle has started, the positive uplift, and that will go on for around about four years. And we're really seeing the equity markets hitting eight-month highs here in Australia and all-time record highs in the US. And I think that strong run will continue into 2021. So we've been positioning for that. That means taking profits in some of those companies that have been benefiting from COVID-19. So we've taken uh, profits from companies like Metcash to invest more in, I guess, cyclicals, companies that uh, perform well when the economic cycle is going up. Um, and so we've invested into a few energy companies, so Worley Parsons and Whitehaven Coal. Um, our travel companies are doing well. We've positioned early into companies like Flight Center, which we're pretty happy with. But I think this great rotation that we've seen will last and have legs, unlike some of the other uh, rotation goes that we've seen that move from, I guess, growth to value. So we're seeing a bit of profit taking in those higher value names and into the lower value names or the cyclical stocks. And I think that will continue. Now, Julie, if you look at a chart for Afterpay last week, fell on the vaccine news and came back out, are stocks like this, Maybe they won't grow as fast as they did this year, but they'll still keep on growing, do you think? Look, I think these stocks will continue to grow. There's no, no question about it. The big question for investors, though, is are other stocks going to recover faster than the growth that you've seen after pay? So it's a question of which particular investment uh, presents the most upside at the current time. So that has to do with valuations and the recovery story. And look, I think Afterpay will do well. We're going into the retail period, the Christmas trading period, the Black Friday sales period. So look, I, I probably wouldn't go short Afterpay, um, even with some of the concerns that are around, because it should be a strong trading period for Afterpay and some of the other buy now pay later stocks. The question is whether investors are going to be willing to pay a premium now for that future growth, given that there are a lot of other investment options uh, with a possible vaccine on the table now. Okay. So let's go to some of the stocks that people asked us about in the Boom Doom Zoom show. 
Uh, let's go to Elmo first, ticker code ELO. Uh, I think we've spoken about Elmo before and it was looking very good from a valuation point of view. Uh, at the last update, they kept uh, their guidance for organic growth change. And I guess one of the key catalysts here is now the UK and M&A. Um, they did release a presentation today as well. Um, the short term charts are looking supportive. I'd like to see a bit more of a turnaround in the longer term charts, the mm. five year charts, where it's still looking like it's flatlining. Um, but certainly some of the the, I guess, green shoots are there to start turning around. Um, so I wouldn't mind putting a little bit of money on this one, just watching it and monitoring it closely though. Okay, and they, some of these companies are very small and, and if, you, if you don't have a strong view, that's fine by me. Why don't we go to a company like Wiser, which is a non-bank lender, WZR? <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's been a, a few companies popping up in the, the smaller fintech space, which has been, been pretty interesting. And I guess I still think it's going to be, um, I do like some of these companies because they are more nimble compared to the big four banks and they don't have the legacy systems in place. But I guess you have to keep a, a hold on what type of technology that they have and whether it is gaining traction. Um, and that's the key thing to be watching because I think we're going to see a lot more of these fintech companies sprouting up and it's a question of whether whether the company will be able to build a legacy and have legs or whether it will just be something that we never talk about again. So look, Wise is probably a bit too small for me uh, to cover, but certainly that fintech space is looking pretty interesting. Um, I still like Tyro Payments actually. I think that's a good one, especially for the COVID-19 recovery story. Mm. Let's go to Star Pharma. It's kind of advantaged by the fact that it's in that sort of medical space. But what's your view on Star Pharma? Yeah, Star Pharma's a hard one. I mean, it's been around for so long and yet it has so many different fluctuations in place. I think the latest was um, something to do with COVID-19 that they were working on. Um, but there are also some phase three trial results which are due as well. So look, with any biotech, there is a higher risk involved. And just watching the evolution of how well their drug works um, in some of the trials that they're undergoing for the news flow. And sometimes it can be about managing that news flow in order to achieve profitability because um, most biotech investors will know that it can be a long, hard road. Okay, another curveball, Austin Engineering. Yeah, look, I like the mining services space, not so much Austin Engineering. I think they're into drum dump truck bodies. Um, but look, I think that um, that mining services space will do very well because the world has to come out of COVID-19 and recession. I think the way that it's going to do that is through building infrastructure. So that bodes well for commodities and service-based companies. We're involved in Wally Parsons that we like, as well as ALS, ALQ, which have been doing very well for us. Um, and look, even names like NWH um, aren't looking too bad, or Downer ADI, if you want to take a little bit less risk um, and go down the risk curve. So um, there's lots of options out there that I'd prefer probably to Austin Engineering at this point in time. Okay, one final one, uh, THC Global, uh, a cannabis com company, um, I'm sure it's had better days when people really got high on cannabis stock. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, look, when it comes to cannabis stocks, at the end of the day, um, anyone could grow it. Um, so it is about having the licensing and having a bit of an edge. So whether that is through using it for a specific purpose that other people wouldn't be able to create it for or having some sort of other edge out there. Otherwise, in the end, it becomes like any commodity and it becomes all about demand and supply. So look, here in Australia, we are seeing a little bit of an easing, um, just bringing up the chart of of THC um, because I haven't looked at it in a while. Um, and I think the cannabis companies, I think the overseas companies actually will, will have an edge on Australia given that they've had a much quicker start and having a look at the chart of THC and look, I can't see any reason to be in there at the moment. Okay. Thanks very much, Julia. Thanks for coming on the show. And next Thanks, week, Pete. Next week, we'll give you a lot easier stocks to, to cover. <laughs> Maybe a, a little bit more notice. But look, November's been fantastic for the markets. The markets are up about 8%. I think in the month to date, uh, our fund's up double digits in the month of November. So I really do believe that this is a great time to be in the markets. Great stuff. Thanks very much. And coming up after Julia is Mike Gable, who will look at the charts as well. And then June Bailu, she'll look at the, the, the top picks from the Hearts and Minds Conference. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, we always like to talk to Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities just to get an idea of what the charts are saying about some of these unusual companies that people ask us about. We've talked to Julia Lee about the companies themselves. Now let's just see what the charts are saying about these companies. Mike, thanks for coming to the program. Thanks, Peter. Let's just say, I, I know there's a curveballs to you, and we often like to talk about companies we know, but we do get asked these, these yep. questions. And it's also sometimes highly enlightening to see what the charts are saying. Let's kick off with the first one we've got here, the Austin Engineering Group, ANG. Mm. What's it saying to you, mate? Um, now, this is a company where, look, if we have a look at the chart here, it does look a little bit ugly in terms of how far it's fallen. But if we actually extend it back 10 years, mm. uh, the thing used to trade at closer to $4. So mm. it's fallen on it's tough times. It's very ugly. <laughs> yeah, deep value, deep, yeah. deep value. Yeah. Um, now, look, what I'm trying to just, uh, I guess, show with this chart here is the fact that over the last couple of years, it is still in a downtrend. So this line, um, this diagonal line is showing that uh, it continues to make these lower highs. So mm. even though if we're quite short focused, short term focused, yeah. um, and in the last several months, it's, it's rallied from a little bit over 10 cents to um, where it is now, 17 and a half. Mm. Um, the bigger picture is that every time it does get close to a nearby peak, um, it does experience selling. So yes, the trend over the last six months is to the upside. The longer term trend is still to the downside. Mm. Um, and if you were to try to buy it here, you're essentially buying it very close to some resistance. So I think the risk reward here is not 
ideal. We really do need to see this break that diagonal line. What's interesting is if you go back to the peak before, that would have been just before the coronavirus, mm. what was, did it look like it was trying to build a base there um, um, between 2019 and the start of 2020? Potentially. However, those with a keen eye will notice that it was actually going backwards just before yeah. the market yeah. collapsed. So we can't blame it all yeah. on COVID, okay, I don't think. Right, okay. So that's like a, a question mark out there. Nothing really positive is pointing to start at this time Not to yet. get you running to the bank to draw the money out to invest in ANG. Right. Let's go to the next one. Um, this wasn't th thrown at us by one of our uh, subscribers in our Boom Zoom Zoom show on Thursdays, yeah. but this is a company that I've um, put in my Zeet stock, so I'm always interested in how it's going. I'm invested in it. I, I wouldn't tell people about something that I didn't you know, invest in myself. But I also have been to the company. I was very impressed when I went to the company. I actually saw it. It looks like a Silicon Valley company, a whole mm. lot of people in T-shirts. Um, and, and I think there's a few interesting things coming for the company down the track. But on the same point, I wanted to see what the charts are saying yeah. about the company. What's, what's the saying, Mike? I do think this one's looking interesting. You did ask me about this one, Peter, in mid-August mm. um, when it was around $6. And we did say if it, it, it'll it probably pull back closer to five-ish and then mm. um, that would be a better entry point. So yeah. it's interesting in that it's it has pulled back pretty much to $5 in mm. September. Mm. Um, the range tightened up. So that's what I'm trying to indicate with the two, two lines getting into a bit of a point there. Yeah. And then in early October, it did jump up um, and volume actually was pretty good. So... Mm. Um, it's since come back to where that breakout is and now it's heading up again. So it is looking fairly constructive here. To me, it looks like it is trying to um, get going again. And it looks like that low at $5 is a pretty good low. Mm. Um, to me, I'd, I'd be more positive if it can, if it can get through $7. Yep. To me, that would be a breaking of that downtrend mm. that's been in place since May. But I'd be happy to have some here mm. based on the bullish price action so far and yeah. then perhaps even add to it beyond seven. And I think people have to work out whether this is a company that is going to benefit from the reopening trade. It, no. bounced, it bounced out of the, the coronavirus crash pretty effectively. Uh, it's a company that services uh, bigger mm. small businesses and I believe it's actually now going to be going to 2021. They've got a new product which they've basically bought out of Britain to get into smaller small businesses yep. to help with their payroll nature. It could be a plus for them going forward. But at this stage, great to see that the chart's heading in the right direction. Let's go to the next one, Star, Far uh, Star Farmer, SPL. Yeah, so this, I think this chart does look very interesting. So a little bit confusing with the lines, but what I'm trying to show is firstly, if we look at the vertical line yeah. um, towards the right-hand side, now the price action just before that, that vertical line, mm. we can see that the share price um, pushed through some obvious resistance at $1.20. Mm. And in the space of about six days, it almost got to $2. So mm. we've got a very bullish rally there. Mm. Uh, and then on the right-hand side of the vertical line, we've got the share price pulling back. Now, the reason why I put that vertical line is, is because I want to show viewers the timing of the moves. And this is very important. So in other words, in six days, the share price went from $1.20 to about $1.90, almost $2. Mm. Um, and then it's taken almost three months for it to get anywhere back near $1.20. So logically, that's telling us that the bulls are still still have some sort of control. So mm. you know the old stock market adage that the market 
goes up in the uh, up by the stairs and, and down by in the, the down the elevator. This well, is the opposite. Isn't this it? is the opposite, and that's mm. good. So it's gone up in the elevator and it's taking the stairs back down. And mm. at the bottom of the chart, what I've shown is the volume. So we can see that when it did rally strongly, those those higher bars indicate very high volume. Mm. And since it's been coming back. Um, the volume's dried up. So again, that's telling us so that- So it's not a massive commitment to dump. Exactly. So if I was holding this, I wouldn't be too worried about the fact it's pulling back. It doesn't look too convincing. Mm. To me, it looks like, not, not too convincing on the downside, that is. So to me, it looks like it's only a matter of time until uh, this is ready to rally again. Yeah, okay, interesting one. Let's go to the next one. This is uh, THC Global Group, THC. Yeah, so this is a weekly chart. As we can see, it's going back about three and a half years. Um, now, unfortunately, this is another one that's just clearly in a downtrend. Mm. So when I look at charts, initially what I like to look at is a weekly chart over a longer period of, of time, mm. because I think it's, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in the day by day blows. But if you take a step back and have a look at the longer term trend, mm. it is very important to understand if a stock's in a downtrend or an uptrend. Yeah. And um, look, it doesn't take a genius to realise that this is in a downtrend longer term. And at the moment, I just don't see any signs of it breaking that. So if I was to get positive on it, what I need to see first is that low in March this year needs to hold. In other words, I don't want to see the share price under that. Mm. Uh, and then what we need to see is the share price get back above the recent peak near 40 cents. So if it can do that first, it starts to look a bit more interesting. But yeah. at the moment, you'd have to say that the, uh, the risk is to the downside yeah, of this Nothing on that, on that chart tells you that um, there are people in the market who think that this is going to benefit from the reopening trade. You'd have a bit of a kick, wouldn't you, if that was the case? Exactly. I've, I've been for months now on this show, I've been talking about the reopen trade. That's mm. where you need to be. And there's been a lot of stocks doing really well based on that. This this isn't one of them. It's not It's not doing what the other stocks are doing. Yeah. So if you're going to invest in this, you need to understand this company well and yep. truly. Let's go to the final one we've got, and that is Wiser, a non-bank lender. So this one, I think, is also under a little bit of pressure in the short term. So initially off the March lows, it it got motoring and mm. and the the diagonal line the, that's heading up um, from, from bottom left to the top right shows that it was in a nice uptrend until about August this year when uh, it broke that uptrend. Uh, and then with the other diagonal line, I'm showing that it is now starting to establish a bit of a downtrend. So mm. we've now got a couple of lower highs. Um, at the moment, it's in the midpoint between the recent low near about 18 cents and, uh, and the recent high near 24 cents. Mm. So is it gonna make a lower low? Is it going to turn around here and actually make a higher high and maybe get heading higher again, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'd be quite neutral on this, but um, yeah, look at, at the moment, it's, it's, it's drifting and it's just not, not doing anything that's, um, that's too enticing. Yeah, the, the best time to get in this um, stock was the March 28th or something like that, <laughs> wasn't hindsight. it? Yeah. And, and interesting, you know, the, it was around a 32, 34 cent stock before the coronavirus. It's now climbed back to, to what, 26, 20, uh, 7 as a high, um, now hovering around, you know, 20 cents or so. It, it, it needs something to break out of this range, doesn't it? Something yeah. that makes this, this business either look attractive um, as a, a grower or maybe mm. even a takeover taker. At this point in time, it doesn't look all that exciting, does it? No, there's, there's, there's no momentum. It, and as I said, if anything, it's 
yeah, it's just drifting lower. Okay. Now, I, I didn't tell you I'd ask this question, but you do this all the time. What is the stock that the recent time has impressed you that you're, you're keeping an eye on? And maybe next time you come on, we'll look mm. at it. Um, I mean, I was, I've been quite impressed with the performance of Art and Leisure, which is one that I'm not just keeping an eye on. We did buy it yeah. um, a couple of months ago. Mm. And, uh, you know, as I said, I, I think investors really do need to concentrate on the reopen trade. There's more to go. Mm. Uh, there's more reopening. There's, yeah. there's, you know, there's more movement. It has, to, it has um, a businesses that are exposed to the tourism sector, don't they? So exactly. open borders would be good for a business like Art and Leisure. Yeah, precisely. So it's 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 rallied really strongly in the last uh, in the last several weeks mm. and uh, the way it's the way it's trading to me looks like that move is still sustainable and and at current levels in you know the 80 something cent region mm. um, you know, I could see it trading to, to well over a dollar so I think there's still mm. some, some where good was it as, as best and this is a company Dreamworld's one of its, its products got mm. other ones as well where, where was it at its best can you remember look just before um, just before COVID, mm. it was, you know, the business was was turning around mm. um, after the tragedy, which really redefined that poor business. Yeah, exactly. And they've, um, you know, they've got a lot of uh, uh, shop fronts businesses in the US, mm. and and they were, you know, they were growing their footprint, and that yeah. was doing well. Yeah. So obviously, COVID has has hit the business, but you know, the flip side is because the share price has been so depressed, it only takes. Uh, increased foot traffic to, um, you know, to, to increase their earnings. And mm. look, it's not necessarily one I'm going to be in a year from now. Mm. I mean, I understand that um, we're not out of the woods yet with COVID, mm. but there's still a lot of opportunities out there with Ardent being one of them where share prices are still pricing in a very uncertain future. And it just takes a little bit of clarity around what that future is to see an increase yeah. in the share price. And if you're if you're worried about what that next step is, then you, you know, you've made a decent amount. You can jump out and, mm. and move, on to the, move on to the next one. Okay. That's Mike uh, Gable from Fairmont Equities. Well, this week we're catching up with June Bailu, and she was at one of the star presenters at the Hearts and Minds conference. And People out there might not understand what it is. I'll get June Bailu to explain what this conference is all about, but it does attract um, very successful fund managers to give their best idea for the year going forward. So uh, there are a number of companies from overseas as well that were mentioned by other fund managers, but I wanted to focus just on the locally based ones, particularly with the, the likelihood that the Aussie dollar will go up and the US dollar will go down, and uh, we're not all good at hedging. Let's just concentrate on the local companies that featured in this event. Jimbo Lou, great to see you. It's great to be here. Explain just in a nutshell what the Hearts and Minds Conference is about. Well, this conference, it's a global conference. It brings together um, the, the best regarded managers around the world mm. uh, to present in one event and talk through the best investment ideas. Mm. Um, and those managers are invited to participate in this um, event. And then their stock conviction needs to uh, do quite well over the last 12 months to be able to participate again, to be invited back again. Mm. Um, and also there is a uh, listed investment vehicle attached to it, the mm. Hearts and Mind invest Investment Vehicle. Um, and that actually invests real money um, in the stock conviction that's been put forward by those managers mm. and that has done very, very well. Yeah, so the Hearts and Minds Fund is actually listed on the Australian stock mm. market and like any other fund, you can invest in mm. it. 
and hopefully that these great ideas work out to that's, do well. That's right. Actually, one other thing I didn't say, which is the key thing, is that the this is all for charity. So yeah. the proceeds in the um, and the proceeds from the event um, yeah. really goes to raise money for a lot of charities. They support a whole range of charity that's on their website, um, and um, all of the managers that support uh, this event also participate yeah. in helping the. And a percentage of the the profits of this fund also mm. goes to help. Oh, goes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. All right, so let's just uh, let's look at your own selection because uh, you presented as you did last year. And you, last year, I remember you went for A2 Milk <laughs> and uh, great company. It's had a few uh, Chinese challenges this year. And this year, you, you've gone for TWE, Treasury One and such, which also has some Chinese challenges as well. Oh, absolutely. Look, I, I, that's the great thing about equity market, right? So uh, market is so short term, they focus on what they're going to report in the next three months. So last mm. year, we talked to A2, um, people worry about the near term earnings. And then in six months, they turn out to be the best performer on the Australian stock exchange yeah. went up 30% when market went down like 30%. Genius, <laughs> that's right. And then, you know, and then you're, you're, you'd be pragmatic, you take some profit around yeah. those times. And here it is again, then people worry about near term earnings. And now with TWE, it's absolutely being caught in that whole political tension mm. that is taking place. We all know between China and Australia, um, people worry about the tariff as a come. Yes, it will, but share price ha has collapsed. Um, it's gone down more than 30% at 1.40% mm. in anticipation of tariff. So our view is that with the current share price, majority of the share price um, is really sitting in underpinned by the value of those premium wine that is sitting in cellar, mm. plus some land they hold in um, Napa Valley as well as uh, South Australia. Mm. So you know really paying much more for um, ongoing business really mm. at this point. So, so pre-coronavirus and pre the Chinese challenges, um, $17.30, now around $9.45. Mm. So what you're saying is, okay, you are taking a gamble that eventually China and Australia's relations will improve mm. and Treasury of States won't be picked on by the, the Chinese government and therefore its share price will recover to some extent, somewhere between Nineteen forty-five and seventy, or even higher. <laughs> oh, absolutely, much higher. It'll be closer to twenty dollars if it wasn't for the Chinese issue. Mm. Now. Um, my view is that the, those trades, um, the political tension, don't have long-lasting effect on the actual trade. Um, if you look at the Chinese relationship or, or the trade between its biggest three biggest trading partners, the, mm. uh, the Japan, the South Korea, and uh, India, they've had lots of political conflict over the last decades. Um, and then if you look at the trade that China has with those countries, has barely dented. So it is my view that this we will work past this. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of time before we get around. Oh, and, and what about Grange that sits inside TWE? Mm. What, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, well, so there's a few things that our view is that the Chinese can show, even if the tariff comes at the worst case scenario, um, these are not the product that Chinese consumer have shown any price sensitivity, which means um, these are premium labels people are willing to pay for those those bottles. Um, over the last um, you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years, they have demonstrated their ability to grow their prices uh, for those premium wine in China, and the volume has barely dented. That It's actually, in fact, the volume's gone up um, yeah, double digit into that region. Yeah. So um, these bottles will be sold one way or another, but it will probably have a bit of short-term disruption, but it will be sold. Okay, let's go to a company like Temple and Webster. Mm. Um, before coronavirus, um, it was around $4. Uh, <laughs> after the virus hit, it fell to $2 and then climbed to $13.70. And with the news of vaccine and the reopening trade, 
it fell to ten dollars sixteen. <laughs> um, what do you what do you think the outlook is for Temple and Webster? All right. Okay. So um, I like Temple and Webster, but t it definitely sits in that group that's that was the award that is the COVID beneficiary. Stay at home stock. Stay, stay at home stock. So that is the basket that will be used to fund to buy everything else when vaccine comes. Mm -hmm. However, I do believe those online e-commerce businesses have benefited that structural shift. There is a level of um, online spending, e-commerce spending that actually has been pulled forward and will stay there for a very very long time mm -hmm. simply because people realize. It's easy, it's price discovery, and it's convenient. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Save a lot of time, save a lot of trouble, and it's good service. So um, my view is that those businesses will benefit, and their earnings, actually, if you look at what those online businesses have reported so far, so most of Australia since um, July has been pretty much opened up, aside from Victoria. Mm. And, um, you know, in the normal sense, that you know, the normal um, uh, thinking will be, oh, then those stay-at-home stocks, so for example, online, people won't be going online, they'll be going to the shops and mm. piling into shops and buying the shops but what they have all reported by September quarter things were getting even higher so mm. people are still shopping online yeah. so um, so my feeling is that once we do get to the normal condition these businesses will report some still continue to report some phenomenal numbers mm. and especially now this weekend last weekend was the cyber weekend and then um, in the next couple of weeks I expect all these companies to give a trading updates all these e-commerce businesses mm. and they should have pretty strong trading updates yeah. that's exactly what I wrote to um, today in the Swiss mm. report, Jim Baylor, that um, you've seen the stocks that sold off initially on the vaccine news and the ones that rebounded after that are the ones that people have got used to using. And mm. I know Bernard Salt, the famous demographer, he said mm. he'd never bought anything online until the coronavirus locked him down in Melbourne. He said, now I'm buying stuff online all the time and exactly. I, I won't stop. Yeah. See, I, th I think these are the stock actually are the structural beneficiaries, unlike the likes of Coles or Woolworth, because mm. supermarkets, there's only so much yeah. you can buy. You That's can't right. have double digit growth yeah. significantly for too long. Yeah. Um, so these will be the stock that will be um, sold off. Okay. Here's an interesting one. Um, Fisher and Pykel. What what's your view on that company? I love that company. I think that company is... Um, uh, is also a structural beneficiary of these changes. Um, it will, um, you know, they were trying to push ahead. Well, they, they were at the early phase of adopting phase of their high flow business. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, the feedback has been very strong, but you know, hospitals, things just take longer for things to get in for people mm. to try it. But because of COVID, um, there's a significant demand for the, um, for the ventilator, which uses their high flow technology. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, once you get in there, I don't expect that, that demand to slow down and for the hospitals that were not using them before mm. um, now they will have to have some installed um, and so it is my view that this company will be a structural long-term beneficiary of this um, of this event now right now it's going through a bit of tough period mm. because of it's been sold off as the COVID win winner or stay-at-home mm. winner yeah. um, but um, in six month time people will realize that this business will have real growth uh, structural um, strong growth um, continuing mm. How important is this white's, white's good industry, you know, the, the refrigerators and things like that? Is it, is it a big chunk of their business or is healthcare the, the bigger part of their business now? So this one is actually just all healthcare. Yeah. So um, it is the so one. So the, the old fish and pie. It's gone. It's yeah. so, is the, 
Yeah. Someone uses that brand. And, and, yeah, that's and, right. And so it. Yeah. I can't remember when they split out the business, mm. and this is entirely healthcare. Okay. So it competes with the likes of Resme and the others, but mm. this is more in the high end rather mm. than the low end CPAP, the mask and things. Yeah. Um, and it dominates that whole emergency room set around the world. Mm. Um, it is very, very highly regarded. The, it's a great business. The reason why I asked that is that we, we had a little uh, Fisher and Pike or Bar fridge which <laughs> failed too quickly. I thought, this is not a company I like. So we went went and bought a Hisense one to replace it. So I thought Hisense might be a better company to put. <laughs> now, CSL. Yes. Do you still like that? <laughs> you can't go wrong with that one now. Um, look, it's performed quite well. It is uh, It is in the healthcare. It's the largest stock in the ASX. Uh, my view is that market will do quite well and this company will do um, probably in line with the market. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that is because it's quite a large business. Mm. Um, for it to go significantly higher than the actual market, it's incredibly difficult. Just mm. law of larger numbers, that's mm. it. Um, and uh, however, the earnings should do a bit better now because um, the, with the reopening uh, in the US, the blood mm. collection should be a little bit better. Mm. But right now, look, it's still taking a bit of time for those uh, blood um, blood collection centers to be open mm. in the US. So um, earnings a little bit soft, but it's on the way back up. So you should do quite well as a blue chip. Yeah, and, and what you're basically saying, if you're putting together a portfolio, you wouldn't do one without CSL. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a okay. core holding. Anything else you want to throw in, June Bailu, before we go? <laughs> um, look, I think this market is incredibly interesting. So um, don't th um, don't throw away, um, you know, the perceived COVID, um, you know, the COVID winners. Mm. I think this is the one, um, you know, advice I would give to investors. Yeah. So things like those e-commerce business, um, yes, they're expensive, but quite a lot of them will continue to benefit from that growth. Adore just listed, mm. um, you know, I think that business will give updates very soon as well, um, and they should all do quite well. So um, pay attention to some of those business that's being sold off at the moment as funding for other companies. Kogan? I like Kogan. Mm. Um, I think they did have a bit of issue with that AGM, some of the resolutions in terms of the CEO packages and the like. Uh, but I do think share price has fallen more than 20% in the mm. last week or so. Um, and uh, when they have update, I think all of them will do quite well. Okay. Jim Bailu, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Jim Bailu from Tribeca. Well, I'm catching up Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report, and this week he's looking at Westpac. Now, it's uh, been a stock he's liked. Um, it came up with some pretty ordinary news, and it really hasn't covered him in glory, but he still thinks it's a buying opportunity, Paul. No, it hasn't covered me in glory at all, Peter. In fact, I've got total egg on my face. I went long Westpac about yeah. a year ago. Yeah. But it's just got so cheap now that there comes a time, yeah. and... Uh, when you compare Westpac to the other, what I'd describe as not the top tier of banks, but the next tier down. Right. The top tier is just CBA, but these are sort of the ANZ, Westpac and NAB. Yeah. Uh, at about a $3 below NAB share price, I reckon there's value in Westpac, Peter. So mm. uh, it's very much, uh, for me, uh, if you want to go long banks, I'd buy Westpac. If you've already got banks, I think the trade is to buy Westpac and sell NAB. You, you think NAB's gone for a, a big run ahead of it's it's real uh, delivery Look, to the market. I think yeah. I mean, I think NAB's had a good run. It's probably it's been the best performing bank over the last couple of weeks. All this has changed since the bank started to put out their results uh, yeah. at the start of the month. So we've seen a huge appreciation in the NAB share price. It it, it overtook ANZ yeah, up eight percent yeah, last week. Yeah, and uh, has had the best run. Westpac hasn't done much at all, yeah. and it really came on the back of a thoroughly disappointing earnings report from Westpac. You couldn't really find any positives. Yeah. 
NAB was okay, but it wasn't that much better, Peter. And I think the market's just sort of putting too big a premium. I mean, NAB is a recovery stock. It's got a pretty simple strategy, a bit like Westpac. Yeah. But there ain't, you know, we know that, that in Australian banking, you know, the challenges are the same for every bank. How do you grow revenue? How do you, you, know, you, you get away at a, at a compressing interest margin? And how do you lower costs? And NAB is doing okay, but not that much better. Yeah. more brilliantly, if I can use a word, than Westpac. I guess it's fair to say that uh, Matt Collin at CBA has really got on the front foot. McEwen at NAB is also on the front foot as a new CEO. The other two are, are probably still fairly unknown. It's, it's kind of a reflection in the sense of their share price. Yeah, I mean, McEwen's a very experienced uh, CEO, mm. having done RBS and having come out of the Commonwealth Bank originally. Mm. Look, I know Rice is a great man. Mm. I think he'll do a really good job at yeah. NAB, but he's got to get a team around him. Uh, he's got legacy of problems in terms of technology. These things don't change overnight. Uh, Westpac, you know, you've got a CFO who's been promoted to CEO. Mm. Always a little bit of a question mark. Yeah, yeah. CFOs to CEO transitions don't always go well. In fact, yeah. the history is against that a little bit. Mm. But, you know, maybe he's just sort of, uh, you know, doing the usual trick of a new CEO. It's about as bad as it gets. Yeah. I'd describe that report they had as about as bad as it gets. You can't get any worse. Right. Uh, so I think there's upside. It's just a question of just relative value. The markets in the last two weeks have just taken off on NAB. Mm. Yeah, there may be a bit of the COVID-19 trade. Uh, NAB is a bit more exposed to the business market than Westpac, but mm. Westpac is you know, twice as many personal customers, uh, better known brands, in my opinion, in St. George and Bank of Melbourne and Bank SA. Mm. I think there's just more upside on, on, uh, on Westpac. Yeah, and I guess the, the bottom line for everyone who's looking at the fact that the banks have taken off if normalcy comes faster than we expect and vaccines come faster than we expect, would you then think that the whole banking sector moves up as a consequence? Yeah, I mean, I think there are, if, you, if you took two other themes that came out of the bank reporting season, first of all, they're all extremely well capitalised, right? right? There's no risk That's on capital. They're all over APRA's unquestionably strong benchmark of 10.5%. Some are near about 12% on a pro forma basis. Secondly, they're all pretty well provisioned. The provisions now is, as a percentage of uh, credit risk-weighted assets are about 1.7%. That's the highest it's been in decades. So they're, they're ready if, yep. if debt problems yep. come along. They've yep. put a lot of money in reserves to take account of, of bad debts. Yep. And thirdly, you know, the deferrals, um, there's been a big fall in deferrals. So uh, if you look at the Westpac result, from their peak in about June, they're down by 75% and NAB's about the same. So they've both gone from over $60 billion of home loans and business loans that they people we're weren't paying about. interest mm. to under $20 million, 20, mm. 20, sorry, $20 billion, billion. Dollars yeah. at the end of October. So look, it's nowhere near as tough on the bad debt side. And that's one of the reasons they've had a good rally since the news about the vaccine came out. Mm. And we've continued to see some, some decent economic stories. So sure, you know, interest margins under pressure, we've got interest rates at 0%. Yeah. It's, it's tough, it's, com it's competitive, but there is growth and uh, they're probably overprovided for what's happening. So what's this current share price about? Well, look, Westpac uh, is about $18.70. That was uh, a bit hard to date today with such mm. a short market. NAB's about $21.70. It's about a $3 share price difference. It's about 15%. I just think there's a lot better value in Westpac. And uh, I think that gap, look, I'm not saying it's, it's not going to get any worse, but I think if you look back in about 12 months' time, that gap will be considerably less. Yeah, seeing Westpac's share price go up by $2, which would be better than a 10% return, not a bad bet, plus you'll get a dividend of some kind, won't you? Yeah, you'll, you get dividends. Dividends will come back. Um, this will be the last year it'll be restrained. We won't get dividends back to the 2018 level next year, mm. but we'll get back to about two-thirds. So uh, 
so for, for uh, retirees and others who are looking forward to those uh, very handy bank, fully frank dividends, mm. um, that's another reason to uh, stay long your bank shares. Yeah, well, my Switzerland Dividend Growth Fund as well, Paul, looks forward to those dividends, those franking credits as well. Okay, so that's Paul Ricker from the Switzerland Report. If you want to read about that, go and take out a free trial of the Switzerland Report and you get Paul's extensive analysis of the banks and Westpac in particular. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, joining me now ahead of a big debate with Harry Dent is Peter Schiff. And Peter's a, a well-known American financial commentator, stockbroker, uh, publisher of many books, and has been a big call merchant for quite some time. Peter, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay. So before we start talking about what you think's going on right now, what are you and Harry Dent going to be arguing about on Friday <laughs> at your conference? Yeah, you know, you got two Puerto Ricans arguing at a conference in Australia. Uh, but, you know, Harry and I have been arguing about the same thing for over a decade. And Harry just assumes that the dollar is going to go way up and everything is going to crash in a you know, deflationary spiral similar to what happened during the 1930s. And I just don't see it that way because unlike the 1930s, we're not on the gold standard anymore. And so the Federal Reserve has no constraints on how much money they can create out of thin air. And so rather than stocks and real estate and bonds crashing, I think it's the dollar that crashes. In fact, everything crashes, except the dollar will crash more. So that will make it look like asset prices are going up, even though in real terms they're going down. So I think Harry has it right, but only if you price assets in gold. So if you want to uh, think about what's going to happen to the stock market or real estate in terms of gold, then Harry's right you're gonna see massive deflation. But in terms of paper dollars that the Fed creates out of thin air, there you're gonna see lots of inflation. In fact, maybe even hyperinflation. Okay, so um, you've been watching economies and markets for a long time. And sometimes people like Harry, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize him behind his back because I've said it to his face as well. <laughs> Some, so, sometimes they, they all make suppositions based on the history of economies, but those histories of economies can change when either the structure of an economy changes or the kind of responses that a central bank might come up with, which they haven't done before. Like, for example, what we've seen with central banks over the last few years, their behaviour is unbelievable, you know, zero interest rates, you know, unbelievable QE, all these sorts of things weren't the usual um, recipes that they would use to solve a problem. 
and, and as a consequence then, generalisations like you, you're pointing out, Harry's belief, belief that of the importance of goal is not really up, applicable. You've obviously, and I know you've made some big calls and you've been wrong on those big calls, but you've adjusted some of your points of view along the way. How, how, do, how do investors work out who to listen to, you or Harry, and why? <laughs> well, you know, first of all, the monetary policies that are being pursued are not unprecedented. They're just unprecedented in major economies. But, you know, you've seen them in places like Argentina, Zimbabwe, you know, Weimar Republic, Germany, which was a major economy at the time. So we already know how this type of reckless money printing ends. Uh, but I would take issue with your assertion that I've been wrong on the macro calls. In fact, I think I've been more accurate uh, than just about anybody as far as understanding what would be happening. The only thing I've kind of got wrong is that I had expected the dollar to have already fallen uh, more substantially than it has. So my recommendations that people invest in foreign stocks as opposed to U.S. stocks so far has not been you know, profitable on a relative basis. I mean, we've certainly made good money in the foreign equities markets. And more recently, we've made even better money in the mining sector. But over the past decade, we could have made more money had we concentrated on U.S. stocks. But I think ultimately I'll be vindicated on the market calls. I think the U.S. market is going to substantially underperform global markets and commodities and gold in the future. So I think I'm going to cast, catch up and ultimately pass uh, the people who have been in U.S. stocks. But the problem for with Harry Dent is he's just been in cash the whole time. So he's underperformed everything. I mean, I've been arguing with Harry about gold since gold was well under $1,000 an ounce. You know, he used to look for gold to go to 400 uh, I think he's increased his downside limit now, his target, but it's still way below the market. And Harry has been recommending that you stay in cash. Mm. So, uh, you know, he's, you know, in a much bigger, bigger problem. We've, we've made good money in foreign equities. We've collected good dividends. And ultimately, I, as I said, I think people investing outside the U.S. are going to end up with a lot more money than those who have been investing inside. And I think a lot of the people who have been in these bubble stocks, you know, these these momentum, way overvalued tech type companies, there is going to be a bursting of a bubble there. And so I think the, the value oriented dividend paying stocks that I've been focusing on around the world, I think ultimately it's the, you know, the people who have been following my advice who are going to end up with all of the, you know, the gains when the music stops playing. Yeah, but Peter, the, the big problem is that when you've been uh, quoted and you've been interviewed on television stations like CNBC and Fox and whatever, you know, what, what tends to happen is that the bottom line gets pulled out that you shouldn't be investing in US stocks for these reasons and that you should go gold. So your, your call on gold was right, but your, your, your call on US stocks were, was wrong only because my argument is that the, the kind of responses of both governments, like for example, what the US government did to rescue the banks of America after the, the global financial crisis was, was quite extraordinary. And what uh, Ben Bernanke produced as well surprised a lot of economists, and that kept the, the show on the road. So in many ways, a lot of simple investors are either in the market or not, 
and people who might listen to you, and by the way, we, we have a well-known Australian economist who you might know, uh, Professor Steve Keane, who, who basically came up with the same kind of arguments that everything was going to go to hell in a handbasket and whatever, yeah. but he got, he got beaten up because central banks and governments you know, use Keynesian-type policies to keep the show on the road. And I think yeah. th that is the big, the big problem. If people follow specific strategies of yours, they would have done okay. But the big stories that you've been linked to in many ways have turned normal, simple investors away from a pretty easy way to make money, the US stock but, market. Well, it's also gonna end up being a very easy way to lose money, certainly Correct. if you're judging it by purchasing power. But look, I have been one of the few people who has been accurately predicting Fed policy. Remember, I predicted quantitative easing before they even did it. And then when they started it, I said they can never stop. When everybody said that QE was temporary, I said it was permanent. I said we'd have QE infinity. I said it was a monetary roach motel. So I anticipated all of this Fed policy. I'm the guy that said that the Fed would never be able to normalize interest rates or shrink their balance sheet. I said they would go back to zero and do more QE. So I've been ahead of the Fed the entire time. And I've never recommended that anybody short the U.S. stock market. I didn't say the U.S. stock market would go down. I said the Fed would prevent it from going down by printing money and keeping interest rates artificially low. The only thing you can say that I got wrong is my belief was that the dollar would have already fallen far more than it has. And therefore, the returns, the real returns investing in foreign stocks would exceed the returns investing in domestic stocks. Now that hasn't happened, although I have owned some individual foreign stocks that have done way better than the, you know, the S&P or the NASDAQ. But of course there are individual stocks in the US that have also done a lot better than that. But I think in the, in the long run, my strategy is going to be vindicated. And by the way, if you go back to the beginning of this, you know, millennia, this, you know, 2001, gold has outperformed the, the Dow and the S&P. You know, if you want to price the Dow in terms of gold, it's down over the last 20 years. So investors have actually made more money just owning gold uh, than being in the U.S. stock market. But I haven't recommend that people own gold at the exclusion of everything else. I've told people to put five to 10 percent in gold. I've recommended that people be fully invested in international stocks. And those stocks have done well. In fact, for the first decade of this century, from 2001 to 2011, my foreign stock portfolios far out, outperformed domestic stock portfolios. It was just from 2011 to you know, 2020 that the US market pulled ahead. But I expect that this decade that is just getting started, that the international stocks are gonna destroy the returns that are gonna be provided in US stocks. Even if US stocks go up, they won't go up nearly as much as foreign stocks especially priced in U.S. dollars, yeah. because I think the dollar is going to collapse over the next decade. Yeah, and are you, are you saying that foreign stocks generally, or are you saying, like, for example, there's a very, uh, very good fund manager out of Laguna Beach, California, called WCM, who go around the, the world picking the best companies in the world, and their, their fund performances have been absolutely fantastic. Is that the kind of recommendation you'd make, cherry pick the best companies of the world? Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't believe in just indexing. I think that a lot of the indexers are, are going to end up regretting their choice to invest passively. I think for a while now, active management has been out of style because of this bubble. So many people keep chasing the most overvalued stocks and they keep going up. 
but eventually the bottom is going to drop out. And I expect it's going to be the value investors, the good stock pickers that are ultimately going to come out on top. And that's what we've been doing, right? I'm not following crowds into manias. I'm investing in good quality companies that are undervalued that other investors are ignoring or even using as a source of funds so they can speculate on these overpriced stocks. But when the dust settles, I think we're holding the winning hand. Okay, now, before we finish up, I want to give me the answers to two questions. First of all, what are you going to beat Harry up on? Like, where is he absolutely wrong and, and missing the point? And secondly, once you've you know, made that point, what do we invest in over the next few years where we'll definitely make money? So in a couple of years' time, I said, gee, Peter Schiff gave us this tip and he was absolutely on the money. Well, and I hope I can say that. Yeah, well, I, th I think you can say that. But, you know, the biggest thing that Harry overlooks is he and I agree that the U.S. is in a lot of trouble, that we have a gigantic bubble uh, uh, at the consequence of reckless Fed policy and fiscal policy and all this money printing. And we both believe the bubble is going to pop. But for some reason, Harry believes that that collapsing bubble is going to be good for the U.S. dollar and for U.S. treasuries. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me if the problem is excessive debt and excessive money printing, that ultimately people would take refuge in the very money that's being excessively printed. The Fed is debasing the dollar. So why would you want to run towards the dollar? I'd want to run away from it, get as far away from it as possible, because the Fed will keep printing money to prevent the stock market from crashing, to prevent the real estate market or the bond market from crashing, to prop up uh, the U.S. government to prevent it from defaulting on its debts. So the Fed is willing to sacrifice the dollar to prop everything else up. So why would you want to make an all or nothing bet on the dollar, which is what Harry wants to do? I think that's a losing bet. And I think it's a very dangerous uh, uh, you know, position for Harry to take. I'd rather put my faith in real money, in gold, and I would rather invest outside of the country that is going to be the epicenter of the next crisis. Okay, so, so come on, give us the simple best investment outside of America that we can make money out of. Well, I think right now, if you're looking for speculative returns as a group, I think the best asset class where you could maybe make 10 times your money or more is in the mining stocks. I just think the gold mining stocks are ridiculously cheap relative to where I think gold's going. Personally, I think gold's going to be remonetized. I think the world is going to go off the dollar standard and go back on the gold standard. It was the United States that led the world off the gold standard and conned everybody to going on the dollar standard. Well, now the world is going to reject the dollar and return to gold. But that can't happen unless the price of gold is much higher than, it's, than it is now. And of course, that means the mining companies are literally sitting on gold mines and they're going to make a lot of money for their shareholders. And you know, that, that's why I, I, I'm a big investor in, in so many of these uh, mining companies. And I, I advise my clients to do the same thing. All right. Well, Peter, you are a big call merchant and that's a very <laughs> big call. Thanks for joining us. Good luck with your battle with Harry. If people want to uh, check this one out, free registration at www.crisisdebate.com. And it's Harry Dent versus Peter Schiff. That's a bit like uh, Muhammad <laughs> Ali versus uh, Smoke and Joe Frazier. Thanks very much for joining us, mate. <laughs> it's my pleasure.